We are um, at verse 13 in chapter 14. Um, Just a little bit of background before we read it, because it's been several weeks since we were together in Romans, since we did the we had Easter, but Palm Sunday, John talked about Lazarus. Last week, I talked about Thomas, so it's been a month. Is There was quarreling going on in the Roman church, and Paul was addressing it. People were kind of, this is the way you got to do, and talking about you know eating meat and what you could do and what you couldn't do. And Paul was saying that, you know, it... Uh, just looking at what says part of verse 6, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to the Lord, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So where we are today, and we'll be starting really even into chapter 15, is a continuation of that. So if someone would be kind enough to read uh, verses 13 through 23, which is the end of 14, that would be kind. Thank you. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing in itself, nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by him, by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. Or whatever does not proceed from it from faith is sin. Thank you. Yeah, here Paul is, you know, sharing with them about the freedom that he can have and that those who are strong in their beliefs have, that they can do things that possibly one who is weaker in their faith, you know, uh, that is not quite at the same point where Paul was or other Christians were. And so they had, you know, I can't do that or it's wrong. And in, you know, some respects, he's, it's the difference between the Gentile Christian and the Jewish Christian. And I say that more from background and not that there's a difference in the two, that the eating of the meat was a big thing. And then also at other times, it was a big thing as to where the meat came from. Uh, And Paul is saying that, you know, I've got a freedom, but I need to be mindful of how I use that freedom. And so 
it is such that, you know, I don't sit there and necessarily eat meat in front of somebody that, you know, it's not kosher, so they're not going to eat it. I don't need to just sit and go to, uh, you know, the barbecue place and buy barbecue and just stuff it down right in front of them. Um, when I was reading this, I thought of something, and it's kind of ridiculous, but it makes the point in that back when I was in college, one of my best friends uh, at the time outweighed me by about 80 pounds. Now, nowadays, the gap would be a lot closer. But we would go out to eat, and I'd already eaten, quote, supper. He had, and we'd go out to eat about 7 o'clock and go to this place in Jackson, and we both order a steak. Well, I'd eat both salads. He would eat his steak and potato. I'd eat mine and probably the rolls. And then one night, they asked him, would we get you anything else? And I go, yeah, I'll take strawberry shortcake. Well, Tommy didn't say anything, but when she put it down in front of me, he about went ballistic. Because my metabolism was such that I could get away with it. He couldn't. And after that, I became more mindful of, it didn't matter if I was still hungry, I needed not do it. Well, the same things here, you know, yeah, I could have eaten that dessert. Yes, I can eat that beef, but is that a stumbling block to the person in front of it? Um, and then something I thought about listening to my brother who passed through, some of you may know that each year, my brother and I go out to California to see Chris and go to a Stanford football game. Well, Robert said something to our sister about doing something similar with them, and so he met them up north of Knoxville, and Robert and Jan are not into Civil War reenactment stuff. They're colonial. They like long rifle stuff that goes back, way back. And so he was meeting them for to spend the weekend with them up there and their friends and whatnot, and uh, my sister and brother-in-law are, are real practicing Catholics, and to the extent they will not eat meat on Friday. They are still, it's fish or vegetable, and that's it. And so, you know, the group was having some sort of, you know, barbecue or whatever they were doing. They just went, Robert went with them, they got a vegetable pizza and came back. Well, Robert, you know, he's a Methodist eating, you know, that's not a big deal, but he just... You know, he went along with what they were doing not to make them feel uncomfortable. Well, that's here again what Paul is saying. You know, we've got to be mindful of that person that is weak, not to just, you know, do what they may feel is right and that what we believe they think we're wrong. We have this freedom in Christ to know that, you know, it's not in unclean in and of itself, but what our thought process can be can make it unclean. So in the case of, you know, somebody like Jan and Art, you know, if they believe that eating meat on Friday is inappropriate, for them to then do it, that's a problem, is what Paul's saying. And he's telling them, you know, we don't need to pass the judgment on them. We need to be, you know, there for them. And, you know, the fish part aside is that, you know, we don't need to keep something that we do and kind of almost rub it in their face, so to speak, 
as a stumbling block. Well, you know, how can they believe that they're going out and doing this, this, and this? And so that by being mindful of how they are, we can then be better able to respond. And, you know, he's telling them here that, you know, look at 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating his, because the eating is not from faith. For whoever does not proceed from faith is sin, or whatever proceeds from. So if, if we see it as wrong, even though there's nothing per se that says it's wrong, we need to be careful about how we proceed. So if there's something that one of us sees is inappropriate and incorrect, we need to be mindful of two things. One, not to say, oh, it's no big deal, come along, because then we're encouraging them to sin. And so where does that leave us? And so, you know, Paul is telling them it's not, you know, the eating per se that's the problem. It's how you're eating, you know, if it's from faith. If you're proceeding from faith, then that's fine. If you get off that railroad track, so to speak, then that's where the problem for either one of us can come. And so he's encouraging them to think through, and then don't pass judgment just because that's the way you do it, and you think, well, that's stupid. That's passing judgment. And so we have to be careful. Uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we have to be comfortable in what we're doing and what we're not doing. It's a slippery slope, though. It has, it has to be a two-way street. Think about the Middle East and wearing headscarves and not drinking alcohol. And, and, and by avoiding all of that and going along with the program... You're not, you're not allowing those people who, who insist on that to develop some tolerance. So why aren't the people who, the kosher eaters, everybody is in, in sync with each other. You don't want to be kosher, fine. Yes, it, yes, you can see it's weakness in their faith that they can't sit next to somebody not eating kosher. But you're acknowledging that weakness and promoting it by, by avoiding confrontation over it. So it's a it's a very fine line between respect exactly. and between tolerance, and and I I think we're we're always in the midst of that, and it's a really uh, that's a battle. I think it's, it's I think it's uh, your point is well taken, Mary. I think it's worth remembering that Paul was addressing this to the community of believers. He wasn't addressing it to believers when you were out among unbelievers, although possibly in circumstances it could apply, what he's addressing here is what Paul's all sometimes referred to in passing as a penultimate. You know, it's something that somebody believes, but to, to, to speak bluntly about it, nobody's salvation depends upon whether he's eating meat or not eating. And among the community of believers, his point is, don't, don't create conflict, don't create tension in situations where you can avoid tension by being more accommodating among the believers. And 
Brian, one one thought. I remember once when the um, when the vestry was still holding its vestry conference up at Camp McDowell. We were there for the Friday evening meal, and there was there were two or three other uh, there were two or three other groups from different parishes who were up there, and everybody was eating in the same dining hall in Scow Lodge, and Paul's all stood up to offer the grace, and the first thing, of course, he said, "The Lord be with you," and of course, all the Adventers responded, "And with thy spirit," and all of the people from the other parishes responded, "And also with you." And then they gave us this funny look like, where's this old-fashioned language coming out? And that, I think maybe that's just, you know, a kind of a silly example of how within the community of the believers, if we're broad-minded enough to not allow these penultimates to get in the way, I think that's Paul's message here. Was that what you... I, I thought you were going to tell the story about how they gave us dirty looks because we had wine and beer. <laughs> maybe that's why we. Maybe that's why that dinner is held at the Advent now. Uh, it's not up at, at Camp McDowell. I don't. Though. I don't think so because it sure didn't bother me. Uh, uh, but uh, I was just going to say that that uh, I, I wondered too if um, if what we're seeing here is uh, if th this is really kind of kind of a transition period in. in You know these sorts of you know rules about the food and and, and that sort of thing uh, that come from the, the, the earlier tradition uh, of which I mean there were still a lot of people alive that had been raised uh, in in that tradition. Uh, Most of the Christians in Rome were converted yeah, Jews. But, but after you know you, you, you get a couple of uh, you know once Christianity has been around for a couple of generations. You know, this this brings to mind the story that I've often referred to: the church that was at Antioch by Rudyard Kipling. Great, and great story. Conflict of, of of the early church. I mean, just months, literally, or within five years after Christ's crucifixion, and the the argument and the fight and the literal riots over food and who was to eat what and how it was how it was slaughtered and it, it from the Roman soldier's point of view but it is really to look at it look at that story from another set of eyes and see how the Roman soldiers as expressed by Kipling viewed the Christians and what was going on versus the Christians versus the Jews and all of that turmoil in Antioch fascinating story Paul takes a little different tact in Galatians. He's talking to the those raised as Gentiles about their eating habits, and they felt like they had to follow the Jewish tradition to fit in. And so that's you know kind of here in Romans is, is in some ways a bit different, but the same thing is is we don't need somebody to you know follow our traditions just to make them feel comfortable. We need to make them feel comfortable, and that comes about even more as we get into the first part of chapter 15 is, you know, how we respond because, you know, as Mary was saying, it, it's a conflict. I, I was reading something the other day 
in that some, uh, there have been problems on flights between the U.S. and Jerusalem when a Hasidic Jew gets on and the people, a couple say, is in the other two seats. And, you know, the Hasidic Jew can't sit by a woman that's not his wife. And so, you know, getting on the plane, if the woman has to sit, you know, traditionally the way that couple seats, she's in the one that ends up by the Hasidic Jew. And some of them just go crazy. And, you know, so then what becomes your response if you get put in that position? I mean, that's a real day situation in what you're saying. And sometimes they have had to. Um, and that was put, this article I was reading, and I, that's been in the last week or 10 days that I read that, that it's just, it's a real problem. And, but what some um, conservative uh, rabbi has said, as long, it's okay to do that as long as you do not have, if you happen to just accidentally touch and there was no ulterior motive on your part, you're safe. <laughs> to try to tell those guys, you know, you ain't got to make a big ruckus about it. It's okay. Well, we were on a flight coming from Amman, and Palestinian uh, 20-somethings were going to a meeting that on. They were all unmarried. And uh, one of uh, her friends, man, got seated next to her. She was at the window, another Palestinian woman, and she just made a big stink about it. My daughter and I changed, and we sat next to her. So I quizzed her about, do you know him? She says, oh, I know him. I work with him. But <laughs> but they were not allowed to have an unmarried man and woman sit next to each other, uh, even though he was perfectly lovely and obviously wasn't going to take advantage of her in any way. Yeah. So, so, you know, it just worked out with people changing seats. <laughs> Our daughter on a trip to Egypt on business when the group took a tour out to the uh, to the pyramids and the Sphinx, she was not allowed to ride the, with the group because she was an unaccompanied female and she had to ride in a segregated car on the train. She couldn't even ride with it. And of course, none of the people in the group were natives, of course. But they didn't, and she couldn't even check into the hotel until the chairman of the meeting came down at 10.30 at night and vouched for the fact that she was legitimately there without a man. And so where does this come from? Because I think this this is where it leads, in a way. What, what Paul is saying is that who ends up being the tolerant ones? It's the Christian, right? <laughs> who have to tolerate all of this pushing around, shoving around, the eating, the scarves, the women being segregated, women not touching, the Hasidic Jew who has to be next to a man. I mean, and we as Christians just kind of... Go, yeah, well, okay, go with the flow. Just let them do. And, and wherever does then, I, I, and I understand it, and I think that's a nice position for us to be in. Really. Well, that, that's a good, in a lot of ways, segue into the next first six verses of chapter 15. So if, if someone would read verses 1 through 6, that would be great. Sure. I'll read it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear it. I can't see No. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who are reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ellen. Yeah, here it's, you know, it's talking about the weak in faith. And not that we, you know, we need to soften them and help them, you know, to soften and meeken them to see where possibly they're going wrong to understand better the faith. And Christ, you know, there in three, Christ did not please himself. You know, Christ, uh, in, in John verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Christ was giving up all that he really had and was due to show that meekness and that softness. I mean, the, the way he was treated, even by his own people, was not the way a lot of us would want to be treated. But by that example he set, you know, here we are today. That's why, you know, after 2,000 years, Christianity, even though we're kind of going through a cycle of waning, you might say, because of the softening in the wrong sort of way, that it's following that example and that a lot of times when people do see how, you know, it's, it, a lot of times it's how we accept that and respond to that challenge put before us, like when you're in the Middle East. Now, you know, I've been over there and kind of wondered sometimes how I need to respond. But um, it, it, w- it was different in that, you know, Christ is giving us an example. The reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. That's from Psalms 69, verse 9. So, you know, the sins of those other people, they fell on me, is what Paul is interpreting and trying to show the people in Rome that while Psalm 69 was of David, David was still talking about that one who came after him who was greater. And that's what happened with Christ. He accepted it. Um, you know, Christ took that upon himself. And even, you know, what did... Um, I'll go this way. Looking for Acts, so bear with me. Um, when Paul was on the way to Damascus... And he was struck down, and falling to the ground, he, Paul, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting those that are mine, but you're persecuting me. He's taken on. And so it's kind of to show that here's the example we have in Christ. Now, in trying to please him, though, 
he's not saying if they are, their will and their interest is wicked, we need to go along. That's not what's being said. But we need to, so, you know, in that case, if they're trying to get us to go along with something that is wicked, we just need to find a way to move aside. Get out of the picture best we can. You know, it's sometimes you see in shows or whatnot, you know, something about, well, you got to show us you're a part. Or, you know, the spy that is, you know, deep undercover trying to show his allegiance is, is a lot of times thrown in this conflict of, you know, maybe killing to show that he's part of the group to get further along. That's a real conflict that we face, and you have to kind of work through that. And part of that is to have a strong foundation. And how do we get that strong foundation? In four, whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Now remember, this is Paul writing in Romans. There was no New Testament. So he's talking about what we call the Old Testament that is there for our, even now, for our encouragement. Uh, Philip Yancey, uh, I did a small group study on Philip Yancey, and it was called The Bible That Christ Read, or Jesus Read. Great book. It's really a good study, but <laughs> it doesn't start with Matthew. Matthew's not even in it, and anything else that follows. And so, you know, that's what he's saying here is that sometimes, and, and I think that's one thing a lot of times in the Christian church today we have to be careful about that there's so much focus on the new testament but the old testament helps us understand better why christ is here so if you can't fully understand that you can't fully appreciate so he's telling them you can't ignore what is what and what we now call the old testament because it's there for our encouragement to build that foundation so that we understand how to yield, how to have the softness, but yet at the same time know the difference in just being pleasing and not being offending. Um, and then, you know, looking at five and six, it's, or yeah, five and six. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's telling them, regardless of where you are as being strong in your faith or, or failing, weak, um, some of the older versions I think even say infirmities, but it's you got to work to together in praising God because it's to his glory that we're here. Thoughts? Comments? Reflections? Well? You know, I've, I've been struggling through Gerald Bray's latest book, which is a history of theology. In the, There's a lot of well, let me tell you, I started the thing before Christmas, and I barely, I just barely broke page 850 of 1,200 or 1,300 pages. And the thing that impresses, that that has been brought to my mind, is what you said about how dependent we are or should be on the Old Testament. When you study the ancient fathers from about 100 A.D. to about 350 A.D., 
really they were most of what they were debating was how the life of Christ and the writings of Paul reflected what was foretold in the established canon of the Old Testament. And you know, I, mean, I think we're right, we do abandon the Old Testament uh, when we should be looking at that in light of what it tells us that we ought to know about the New Testament. Thank y'all. We'll see you next week and finish up uh, in um, 15, hopefully. I will be uh, playing grandparent up in Richmond, so I will miss y'all. But uh, thank you. It's Lucy Hall.